Well, hopefully everybody is uh, refreshed and with a bit of morning tea uh, and ready to now listen to our, our next study by Brother Dave Moses, forerunner. I'd now like to call Brother Tim Bailey forward to introduce the session through reading Numbers 16. Reading with you, Numbers 16. And Korah, the son of Isaiah, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, the sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and Yahweh is among them. Wherefore, then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of Yahweh. And when Moses heard it, he fell upon his face, and he spake unto Korah, and unto all his company, saying, Even tomorrow Yahweh will show who are his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near unto him. Even him whom he hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him. This do, take ye senses, Korah and all his company, and put fire therein, and put incense in them before Yahweh tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom Yahweh doth choose, he shall be holy, and ye take too much upon you, ye sons of Levi. And Moses said unto Korah, Here I pray you, ye sons of Levi. Seemeth it but a small thing unto you, that the God of Israel hath separated you from the congregation of Israel, to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of Yahweh, and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them? And he hath brought them near to him. And all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee, seek ye the priesthood also? For which cause both thou and all the company are gathered together against Yahweh? And what is Aaron that ye murmur against him? And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, which said, We will not come up. Is it a small thing that thou hast brought us up out of a land that floweth with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, except thou make thyself also a prince over us? Moreover, thou hast not brought us into a land that floweth with milk and honey or given us heritage to fields and vineyards. Wilt thou put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. And Moses was very wroth and said unto Yahweh, Respect not thou their offering. I have not taken one ass from them, neither have I hurt one of them. And Moses said unto Korah, Be thou and all thy company before Yahweh, thou and they and Aaron tomorrow, and take every man his censer, and put incense in them. And bring ye before Yahweh every man his censer, two hundred and fifty censers, thou also and Aaron, each one of you his censers. And they took every man his censer and put fire in them, and laid incense thereon, and stood in the door of the tabernacle of the congregation with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the con congregation against them unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and the glory of Yahweh appeared unto all the congregation. And Yahweh spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell upon their faces and said, O God, the God of spirits, of all flesh, shall one man sin? And wilt thou be wroth with all the congregation? And Yahweh said unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the congregation, saying, Get you up from about the tabernacle of Korah and Dathan and Abiram. And Moses rose up and went unto Dathan and Abiram 
And the elders of Israel followed him. And he spake unto the congregation, saying, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest ye be consumed in all their sins. So they get up from the, con- of, so they get up from the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram on every side. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood in the door of their tents, and their wives, and their sons, and their little children. And Moses said, Hereby ye shall know that Yahweh hath sent me to do these works, for I have not done them of mine own hand. If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then Yahweh hath not sent me. But if Yahweh make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth, and swallow them up with all that appertain unto them, they go down quick into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked Yahweh. And it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder, that was under them. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up. And their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods, they and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed upon them and they perished from among the congregation. And all Israel that were round about them fled at the cry of them, for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. And they came out a fire from Yahweh and consumed the 250 men that offered incense. And Yahweh spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, that he take up the censers out of the burning, and scatter thou the fire yonder, for they are hallowed. And the censers of these sinners against their own souls, let them make them broad plates for a covering of the altar. For they offered them before Yahweh, therefore they are hallowed, and they shall be a sign unto the children of Israel. And Eliezer the priest took the brazen censers wherewith they had, wherewith they that were burnt had offered, and they were made broad plates for an offering of the altar, to be a memorial unto the children of Israel, that no stranger which is not of the seed of Aaron come near to offer incense before Yahweh, that he be not as Korah, and as his company, as Yahweh said unto them by the hand of Moses. But on the morrow, all the children of the congregation of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, Ye have killed the people of Israel, of Yahweh. And it came to pass, when the congregation was gathered against Moses and against Aaron, that they looked toward the tabernacle of the congregation, and behold... The cloud covered it, and the glory of Yahweh appeared. And Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of the congregation. And Yahweh spake unto Moses, saying, Get you up from among this congregation, that I may consume them as in a moment. And they fell upon their faces. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer, and put their fire therein, and from off the altar, and put on incense, and go quickly unto the congregation, and make an atonement for them. For there is wrath gone out from Yahweh. The plague is begun. And Aaron took as Moses commanded, and ran into the midst of the congregation. And behold, the plague was begun among the people. And he put on incense, and made an atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stayed. Now they that died in the plague were 14,700 beside them that died about the matter of Korah. And Aaron returned unto Moses unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and the plague was stayed. Thanks, Brother Tim. 
Now I'll call forward our brother Dave to uh, deliver the concluding session, Moses Forerunner. Well, thanks Dave and thanks Tim for that reading. It's not often you have to read 50 verses. Uh, but it is a dramatic chapter, isn't it? An extraordinary chapter and full of drama. So um, I thought we'd read it all. Uh, so thanks Tim. All right, so let's start in verse 1 of chapter 16. And we read there that Korah, Dathan and Abiram took men and they rose up before Moses and it says that they, they in verse 2, took 250 princes of the assembly, <coughs> famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. Now as I alluded to in our earlier study, this is a very confronting challenge to Moses and Aaron. There's a little more in this than might just meet the eye. The drama is even more than just perhaps a cursory reading of this chapter might suggest. Let's unpack it a little bit so that we can appreciate the full extent of what was going on. The first point to note, it's fairly obvious, but that this was all occurring within the ecclesia of God. This threat was from within. Look at some of the language that's used. These men were princes. They were clearly leaders among the assembly, right? The assembly. That word assembly is the word ecclesia. Okay, they were leaders in the ecclesia. Look at the emphasis. Princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. The word famous itself means called out ones. Okay, called out ones. They had been called out of the congregation. That word again is the word ecclesia. Called out into positions of leadership. The word renown literally just means a name. They were men of name. Everyone knew who they were. These were leaders in the, in the ecclesia. Men conspicuous by their name and their reputation. So what's the purpose of this very high-powered delegation? Verse 3. They gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. Now again, if you haven't got the point, the word gathered themselves together is the word ecclesia. Brethren and sisters, make no mistake, what we've got going on here is a rival ecclesia. It's a breakaway ecclesia led by these men who were trying to entice others to their cause, to undermine Moses and Aaron and induce others to join them. And look at what they do. We've, we've all seen this movie before. It's a classic case of what the psychologists call projection. You accuse another of your own behaviour. Okay? You're a narcissist. Often is the fact that you're the narcissist and you see in others or project on them what you in fact are yourself. They do that. Look at this. They say, you take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift you up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. That's what they were doing. Right? But they accuse Moses and Aaron of doing that. And we've seen that Moses, the meekest of all men on the face of the earth, did not strive to do that at all. But what do they do? Right? What does every politician do? What does anyone who wants to garner a following do? These days the term is populism. 
You appeal to their basic instincts. You put forward the seduction of democracy. We are all equal. Who are you? You appeal to, in Australia, the tall poppy syndrome. It's very easy to cut down someone in society who makes you feel in any way inferior or inadequate. These are clever, cunning men. We are all holy. All these beautiful people we lead are all wonderful people, Moses. Who do you think you are? And a few of the people behind you, yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. You know, they get carried away with this spirit of democracy. All the congregation is holy, every one of them. Why do you lift yourselves up above others? So how does Moses react, this meekest of all men upon the face of the earth? How does he react? Does he fight fire with fire? Verse 4 He fell upon his face. He fell upon his face. And we get a pretty clear indication that he did like a Nehemiah, a quick prayer in that very moment. Because look at his next words. Verse 5. He spake unto Korah and unto all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his, who is holy. I think he had just had a quick conversation with God and he confidently says, tomorrow God will show. Look again though at another reference emphasising what's happening here. There you see Korah and all his company. The word again is the word ecclesia. Korah's ecclesia. The point is this is a battle for the hearts and minds of the people. Korah wanted the preeminence and he takes it up in a very big way to Moses. But Moses is not naive. Yes, his response this time is perhaps much more sort of phlegmatic and calm than in his youth, but he knows. He's not stupid. Right? He knows exactly what's going on. Have a look what he says. He's got it all worked out. Verse 7. You take too much upon you. Right? He says exactly straight back to them what they accuse. He knows what's going on. Verse 9, he says it again. Seemeth it but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel? That is your position to bring you near to himself, to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them. And then verse 10, Are you so bold as to seek the priesthood also? For which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against... Who? Against me? Does he put himself in it? Was it ever about me with Moses? You're not gathered together against me. You're gathered together against the Lord. And that's a really salient point, isn't it? Moses has this beautifully pitched. Remember what Paul says in Corinthians. He says, it's the ecclesia of God. God organises the ecclesia just as he wants it to be. Remember the words, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18. God has set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. He's given some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. Korah, Dath and Abiram, you have extraordinary positions already of service in the ecclesia. Aspire to the priesthood as well. That's a challenge to God, not me. It's not about me. It never has been. And I think there's just a little lesson in that, isn't there, brethren and sisters? That's why Paul says to Timothy that we should always honour our elders who serve and lead well in the ecclesia. It's a labour of love. 
No one in those roles does it because it's necessarily fun or easy. It's a labour of love. And Paul says to Timothy that we should honour those who lead well rather than challenge. The Lord's verdict to all of this, verse 21, Moses and Aaron, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. Consume them in a moment. So again, we've looked at this so many times. Does Moses say, yep, bring it? Yep. I'm done with this. I can't cope with these people. I'm a humble shepherd. I'm only doing your service. They're agitating, challenging. Fair enough. No. Verse 22. Moses and Aaron fell upon their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and wilt thou be wroth with all the congregation? So what they're saying is, God, there are many who have got carried away with this spirit of Korah, Dathan and Abiram, but it's not the core of who they are. Korah and Dathan and Abiram have been very clever. They've appealed to populism this sense of democracy, and they've got people carried away with them, but the sin is primarily with Korah, one man. Please don't judge the whole congregation. What love, what grace. This whole congregation, this whole rival ecclesia had said, we don't want you anymore. But he meets that. With love, How would we respond, brethren and sisters, to such a renegade group? What would our attitude be? Would our behaviour be dictated by the behaviour of others? Look at the patience. It's got to have impressed us, I'm sure. The long-suffering, patience, meekness, never about him, of Moses, even in the face of great adversity. Verse 28. Hereby ye shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works. Here's the meekness. I have not done them of my own mind. It's not about me. It's God who works in me, he says. Verse 30. You shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. They've provoked the Lord, not me. It's never been of my volition. What meekness. Verse 41. Well, before we get there, obviously, the earth opens up and consumes them. You would think the most dramatic, as Moses has said, vindication. Right before their eyes. An amazing thing. Moses says, let's do something that's never been seen before. Human nature, verse 41, the very next day, all the congregation are back again, murmuring against Moses and Aaron, you did it. You killed the people of the Lord. You did it. Oh, my word, Moses. <laughs> like, I mean, seriously, right? So, me again. I, I did not open up the earth. I told, you know, can you imagine? How would we react? This has gone on and on and on. Your fault again. You did it. What's God's verdict? Verse 45. Moses and Aaron, get you up from among this congregation that I may consume them as in a moment. There it is again. But by about this time, I reckon well before here, we'd be definitely up for it. Yep, (laughs) I'm certainly done now. How do they react? Verse 45, they fell again on their faces and Moses said to Aaron, Aaron... Take a censer, put fire therein from off the altar, put on incense and go quickly, quick, Aaron, run into the congregation right through the assembly and make an atonement for them. I love them. I move with compassion towards these people. They're my people. Despite everything, his unconquerable meekness, love and compassion knows no limit, no bounds. 
For there is wrath gone out from the Lord. The plague is begun. Aaron, run, quick, do it, save them. What a beautiful man. What an incredible, patient, long-suffering, big-hearted man who had such a deep compassion like our Lord Jesus for his people. Marvellous, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. Awe-inspiring, really. We, we sit so humbled to think of such a wonderful man. But that then brings us to chapter 20 and a, a, a really sad incident. There's no way of describing it in any other way, really. Constant antagonism of Moses. He'd always risen above it. Forever meek, forever loving, forever compassionate. Long-suffering, patient, merciful, all of those things until it came to Kadesh. Now, we get a hint as to perhaps why. Yes, this wave of antagonism and challenge, constant, you set yourself up. No, I don't. I'm just a shepherd. You take too much on yourself. Was it all just that that caused this? I think there's a bit more. We get an insight in the opening verse. The people abode in Kadesh and Miriam died and was buried there. And we know of the great love. We saw it in our study just moments ago. The great love Moses had for Miriam. He owed his life to his sister and her courage. He would never have forgotten that. He loved his sister. And maybe like our Lord Jesus at the news of the death of John the Baptist, maybe he was moved. I think he would have. I think we've got an insight into the heart of this man. He would have missed his sister. A brave, courageous co-leader with him and Aaron. Their classic little family bond. And it's against that background that we read then in verse 2. There was no water for the congregation and yet again they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and the people chode with him. All the same accusations all the same grievances. Moses and Aaron begin well. They begin well. Verse 6, they do exactly the right thing. They go to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and fell down upon their faces. And God appeared unto them and he instructs them what to do. Verse 8, take the rod and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. Do we forgive Moses for what comes next? Do we empathise? I sincerely hope we do, right? Just, you know, we're, the build-up to here, still no doubt probably in a melancholy state at the loss of his beloved sister, and then comes one of the saddest moments in terms of the consequences in Scripture. Verse 10, he said unto them, Hear now, you rebels. Emotion just pours forth. He's never used that term before of his people. You rebels. Must we, and there's almost an empathy, me and Michael, me and the angel who's been with him, must we... I think that's who he's talking about. I don't think he's talking about Aaron. He's putting himself with Michael, the angel, with God. Must we fetch water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and with his rod, he smote the rock twice. And we know from our Sunday school lessons, he had been told just to speak to the rock. But he hits it twice. 
And the response, verse 12, we learn that he did it in unbelief. The Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because you believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. And here are some of the toughest words to read. Therefore, you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Now, the word believe, just in case we get the wrong idea, is not faith. It's not that Moses didn't have faith or that he stopped believing. It means to uphold. It's really the word, you were not faithful to my instruction. That's the word. You didn't carry out what I said. It's not that God's saying you lost your faith. You didn't remain faithful or true to what I asked of you. You didn't uphold my word. If you had, Moses, just spoken to the rock, it would have sanctified me in the eyes of the people, made me holy. Whereas, by you striking it, they might have thought that it was in some way about you. And it can never be. We read in, um, I believe it's the psalm, yes, Psalm 106, verse 32, that it went ill with Moses for their sakes because... They provoked his spirit so that he spake unadvisedly. That's the King James Version, by the way. He spake unadvisedly. It's perfect translation. It was unadvisable. He said, must we? Must we? First time he ever made it at all about him. God wouldn't be sanctified to the fullest extent. All about God, speak to the rock. He struck it twice and he said, must we? Wow, brethren and sisters, wow. You know, if ever anything we ever do in the ecclesia of God, in the service of our God and our Lord Jesus, ever becomes even vaguely, about us. This should be a salient reminder. Even when we have done all, we're only unprofitable servants. It's all for the honouring of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the lesson. The platform should never be a stage for a performance. The ecclesia should never, ever be an audience. Never about us. A powerful, powerful lesson that it was all about God working through Moses. He was but a vehicle. Turn now to verse 21, uh, chapter 21, sorry, and verse 5. We read that the people spake against God and against Aaron again. Again, now Moses has just been told, they provoked you, Moses, you struck the rock twice, you spoke unadvisably, you're not going to be in the kingdom as it were. You're not going into the promised land that for 40 years you've set yourself for. And then they come again, they speak against, same accusations, same challenge. How would we react? We've just heard the most confronting words and they're back at it again. I'm not going into the promised land because you provoked me and I made a big mistake. How does he respond? Verse 7. The people came to Moses. We've sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he will take these serpents from us, these fiery serpents. And we know from the story that this meekest of all men, at right at the end of verse 7, we just have the simple words, and Moses prayed for the people. Amazing. The serpents were biting them, people were dying, 
His heart, that big heart, the heart just like the Lord Jesus Christ, was moved again with compassion. No animosity, didn't bear a grudge, not the hard feeling. Moved with compassion. And again, he prays for them. He pleads his household's cause in heaven. You know, when our brethren and sisters are hit with the fiery darts of the wicked, when they're afflicted with the sting of sin, do we do that? Do we simply pray for them? That's the message. The serpent was biting, the sting, the venom of sin was afflicting them, the effect was death. When we see that, brethren and sisters, do we pray? That was our exhortation, so I won't go through that. Moses prayed. Despite how they treated him, despite the consequences, no grudge, he prayed. As I think it was Brother Perkis, I think it was, in that great book, Prayer, It's Principles and Practice. If you start praying for people, it's pretty hard to bear grudges. It's a great little lesson, isn't it? He prayed for them. All right, where are we? Not, no idea. Right, excellent. Let's go to chapter 27. The incident with the daughters of Zelophehad. This is fascinating. Absolutely fascinating because I ask myself, how would we react in this situation? How would you react? How would your ecclesia react? It's a, it's a remarkable story. Very remarkable story. Numbers 27. We learned just before in chapter 26, verse 33, if you're making a note, that Zelophehad had had no sons. He had five daughters. And remarkably, in verse 2, these women came and stood before Moses and before Eliezer the priest, before the princes and before all the congregation. Where did they stand? By or in the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And they said, Our father died in the wilderness and he was not in the company of them that gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Chorus, and they put forward a great case for their dad. But he died in his own sin, but he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be done away from among his family because he hath no son? Give unto us, therefore, a possession among the brethren of our father. As I said, brethren and sisters, this is an extraordinary incident by any measure. This is five women, five women, standing before Moses, before Eliezer, before all the princes. What is more, it's before all the congregation, and it's right in the door right in the ecclesial hall and the section of scripture they're dealing with says that this is how it works and they come in and say well we're not sure that is fair why should it be our father was a great man just because he had no sons why should all his inheritance go to his brethren and not us didn't they know their Bible? Why would they be questioning a statute of the Bible in the ecclesial hall, right in front of the elders? Would some of them say, what is going on? Are these some sort of rabid feminists? Well, what's happening here? This is not right. This should not be in the ecclesia. You should be keeping silence. It's a real incident. These five courageous sisters 
bring their cause and say, this inheritance matters deeply to us and preserving our beloved Father's name. How does Moses react? Have you not read? Dare you challenge? Why bring this into the ecclesial hall? Verse 5, Moses brought their cause before the Lord. What a beautiful man. A blind judge. He didn't see woman, man, small, great, colour skin. He takes it before the Lord. What do you think, God? I, I know what's written in your statutes. I know what's in the scripture. These five daughters have come to me with this challenge, this, this, this problem. What do you think? Moses brought their cause before the Lord and God's verdict, verse 6. This is incredible. The daughters of Zelophehad speak right. They speak right. Thou shalt surely give them a possession of an inheritance among their father's brethren. And thou shalt cause the inheritance of their father to pass unto them. And by the way, we're going to change how we operate going forward. Going forward, speak to the children of Israel saying, Actually, if a man die and have no son, then you shall cause his inheritance to pass unto his daughter. That is fascinating, absolutely fascinating. That, that, that's an amendment to the statutes that have been prescribed on account of these sisters pleading the cause. The inheritance meant so much to them. And the grace, the meekness, the love, the compassion of Moses was such that he did not dismiss them out of hand. He took their cause to God and God says they have spoken right. And actually going forward, this is how it's going to work. Quite remarkable. Now, brothers and sisters, it's not today to talk all about the role of sisters or anything like that. That's not the point. It's not the point of this at all. But we are all one in Christ Jesus. We all play a role in the ecclesia. But let's never confuse passages in the scripture to ever make us look down on a sister, to not give a sister the time of day, to not hear their wisdom, to not give them, them the ability to share a point of view, to even argue a particular point. Moses listened and took their cause to the Lord and the Lord's judgment was they have a point. Let's be an inclusive community. Let's love our sisters. Let's respect our sisters and let's listen to them. They, all the sisters here know the role that they play in the ecclesia as set out in the Bible. But when they have a particular thing that they want to share, maybe it's with a sister wanting to share a view with an arranging brother, listen, because they come from a great place, the right place, as these sisters, these daughters did here. Let's go to the next little bit in chapter 27 and verse 12. This is desperately moving if we really put our hearts into this and imagine Moses. It's almost hard to read. Verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, get thee up into this mount of Byram and see the land which I have given unto the children of Israel. And when you've seen it, 
You'll be gathered unto your people as Aaron, your brother, was gathered. For you rebelled against my commandment in the desert of Zin. What a tragic moment. You know, we have this aged brother, 120 years of age, full of vitality, his sight not dim at all. He could see it all out there. But he could not go in. And it did matter to Moses. He was not a robot, right? He was not a robot. We've seen that, the conversations he had with the angel. Let me read to you Deuteronomy 3, 24. He says, I pray thee, let me go over. I pray thee, let me go over the... The Hebrew there is he repeatedly besought the Lord to go over continually. And look at the response. Again, if it's Michael, listen to how he says what he says to Moses. Because we get the impression said once, okay. No, Moses says, I pray thee let me go over and see the good land that is beyond Jordan, that goodly mountain in Lebanon. But the Lord was wroth for me for your sakes. God had to make a point so that you never believed it was about me. And he would not hear me. And the Lord said unto me, look at this. Let it suffice thee. Speak no more unto me of this matter. The angel says, enough. Please stop begging me. Speak no more to me of this matter. Thou shalt not go over this Jordan. And Moses accepts it. From that moment on, he speaks no more of the matter. Just like our Lord Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He accepts it. And what's his first comment? What is the first comment we hear from Moses after being told this? Woe is me, please be merciful to me, remember me in the day. No, his thought is for the people. Again, right? Right for the people. Verse 15, what's he say? He says, Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh. So this is back in Numbers 27, verse 15. Moses spake unto the Lord. He says, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them. I won't be there anymore. Select a man that will go out before them, and which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. What an incredible man. He's just been told, you won't go into the promised land. You're going to die. You'll be gathered just like Aaron. What's his first thought? It's a bit like in the words of Jesus, there are sheep with no shepherd. He thinks, oh no, Who, who's going to lead them? God, we, 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 together we need to select somebody. We need to select my successor that will go in and go out before them and lead them, lest they be as a flock without a shepherd. His thoughts go immediately to the people. Who's going to keep the flock and lead the flock? What an amazing man. Never about him. And you might have wondered at the title of our session today, Moses the Forerunner. All of this is symbolic, isn't it? The law... The law took people to the edge of the promised land and gave them a glimpse of the things to come, types of the future. But the law, Moses, could never take us or them into the promised land. Who did that fall to? Yah shall save. 
Joshua, he had to. Moses, the law, had to die. He could not go in. I am sure, I am sure that all of that was explained to Moses. Moses, you will come to stand for the law. All the law that I've given to you gave you a glimpse of the Messiah. You, it's recorded of Moses that he chose to suffer the reproaches of Christ. He knew about Jesus. He knew about the Messiah. Just like Abraham rejoiced to see my day, it was all explained to him. You're the law. You stop at the border. And then will come this Jesus, Joshua, and he'll take them in. And Moses says, thank you so much, God, for explaining all of that to me. I'll go in peace. But please look after my sheep, is his, is his prayer. Come to note Numbers 32, because it's just two tiny little gems. I thought, should we put them in? We're going to. They just give you two last little tiny bits of the type of man Moses was. Numbers 32, verse 1. We have here the children of Reuben um, and the children of Gad. Now they sought to possess, as it says there, the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead. Right? That's what they wanted, right? which was before Jordan. So they say to Moses, verse 5, right Moses, um, bring us not over Jordan because we want to settle here. Well, Moses is not good with that. He says, verse 6, and I love this. This is, this is Moses. He was a man of affection and action. He says, Shall your brethren go to war and you shall sit here? And wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which God has given them? It's not how it's going to be, children of Reuben and Gad. Are you really going to just sit here and watch your brethren go over Jordan into battle and fight? They'll be discouraged when they see you just sit yourselves down. That's Moses' brethren and sisters. He's like, nah, it shouldn't be here am I send him. It should be here am I. We're brethren. We go together. He says, don't just sit here. Brethren and sisters, occasionally in the ecclesia, do we just sit here? Do we sometimes just find that couch at home just a little bit too hard to get out of on a cold, wintry night? We just sit here. And it can discourage our brethren and sisters. Let's not let our brethren and sisters take up the battle alone and just sit here. Moses would never have just sat there. He would have gone into the battle, crossed over Jordan. That's a great little lesson. So they then say, it's all good. Um, we'll go and then we'll come back and um, possess the land. So later in the chapter, verse 17, it says, we'll go ready armed before the children of Israel until we have brought them unto their place and then we'll come back and take up our inheritance. So they agree to it. We'll, we'll, we'll go over, we'll, we'll sort it, we'll be in the battle and then, then we'll come back. Moses is like, great. But he doesn't leave it there. He, he's not so sure about these Reubenites and Gadites. He's, what does he say? Verse 23. He says, right. If ye will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. So he says, you make sure that you do do that. Make sure that you don't just sit there and you do cross over Jordan with us. You do take the battle up and then you come back. Because if you don't, you sin against the Lord and your sin will find you out. 
Brethren and sisters, we talked about things, didn't we, in our very early studies about things like this Me Too movement. The sin of a lot of people is finding them out right now. Our sin has a habit of finding us out. Remember Moses right back at the start, he slew someone, buried the body under, under the sand. Not great thinking. The wind comes up, the grains of sand move and there's the skeleton. Brethren and sisters, we all sin. Our sin does find us out and it makes us humble. But let's never continue in sin that grace may abound. Let's keep the battle raging. Let's do the right thing is what Moses is saying to Reuben and Gad. Do the right thing. It's not just sins of commission, it's sins of omission. We sometimes like, like using that, those terms. But if you say you're going to do it, do it. Because if you don't, you sin against the Lord and your sin will find you out. It's just two little interesting insights into the type of man Moses was. You might want to flick to Deuteronomy 34, um, verse 5. This is right at the end of Moses' life. Deuteronomy 34, verse 5. We read there, So Moses, the servant of the Lord. That's the summary. Yes, he had challenges, but Moses, the servant of the Lord, died. In the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab over against Beth Peor. But no man knoweth of his sepulchre unto this day. And Moses was an hundred and twenty years old when he died. His eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. And then listen to this, verse 10. There arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses. What is the little bit that's picked out of the whole of his life? Whom the Lord knew face to face, cheek to cheek. In all the signs and the wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his servants, and to all his land, and in all that mighty hand, and in all that great terror which Moses showed in the sight of all Israel. So brethren, so and sisters, so ends the life of a truly remarkable man. You know, Moses in his life had two great wishes, two great desires. The first was that he wanted to see the face of God. And the second was that he wanted to enter the promised land. Did he get either of them? Yes, actually he did. No, he didn't at this point because he died. He had never seen the face of God. And he didn't enter the land. But when our Lord Jesus was struggling before leading the greatest exodus ever in the history of the universe. Moses was resurrected and conversed with our Lord Jesus and he saw God because he saw Jesus and he that has seen me has seen the Father. He saw God in the face of his son, the Lord Jesus, the perfect manifestation of the Father. And where did he stand? In the promised land. So for that brief moment with the Lord Jesus Christ and Elijah, his two great wishes, his two great desires to see the face of God and to be in the promised land. He was there. How beautiful is that? Brethren and sisters, one day very soon, in the words of Revelation 22, verse 3, 
we will all stand in the kingdom of our God. The throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face. We and Moses will have that most joyous experience of all. And they'll sing a song at that time. And it will be Moses' song. We read in Revelation 15, And they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvellous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Even so come, Lord Jesus.